Migration has been one of the most pressing political issues for the EU in recent years. We at the International Center for Migration Policy Development are therefore looking into the most pressing migration issues that are to be expected throughout this year. Communications Officer at ICMPD, and you are listening to our first podcast on the ICMPD Migration Outlook for 2022. The year has just begun and the EU is already facing some major challenges. We at ICMPD would like to focus on things that can in fact be prognosed and foreseen to a certain degree, and this is exactly what our researchers did in the Migration Outlook for 2022. With me here today is the chief editor of this Migration Outlook, Martin Hoffmann, who is principal advisor at ICMPD. He will be critically questioned by my second guest in the studio, Martina Bachler, journalist at the Austrian business and economics magazine called Trend. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Now, for those of you who don't know us, ICMPD is an international organization and stands for International Center for Migration Policy Development. Every year, we analyze what is likely to be expected in the year to come and publish our migration outlook, which can serve as a quick guide throughout the year. You will get a brief overview of the trends, events and hotspots to look out for this year. Uh, for 2022, Martin and his team have come up with 12 major issues that will be decisive for EU migration politics in 2022. ICMPD Migration Outlook 2022, the key findings. So Martin, please tell me about the three most important issues that you could identify for the year 2022. If I have to identify the three maybe most important ones, I would start with to which extent has our migration world changed since last year. And last year was the year of uh, COVID and the year of COVID mobility restrictions. And to which extent has our migration world returned to pre-pandemic uh, levels. In Europe, the main focus is on irregular migration and on uh, asylum in 2021. These two main indicators have not only returned to pre-pandemic levels, but exceed them. We have a significant increase in irregular arrivals at the EU external borders. So this simply indicates an increase in this specific type of migration and migration flows. And it also indicates that policymakers will pay a lot of attention to this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And what would be your second most important issue out of those 12? Uh, the second most important issue is the question whether the political developments, the elections, uh, government changes that we have this year in the EU uh, will have an impact on EU policy making. Uh, first, we have the French elections. It is clear that most uh, candidates uh, take a, what we call Eurosceptic stance favor immigration control, favor repatriation of uh, political powers from the EU to the French government. And that will have an influence regardless of the final outcome. So I don't expect France to be uh, a driver of uh, centralization of migration policy this year. At the same time, uh, France holds the presidency of the European Union in the first half uh, <clears throat> of the year. 
Uh, the presidency program speaks very clearly about the wish to reform Schengen in the direction of tackling irregular migration within the Schengen zone. And this draws up the question of internal border controls. So I expect this to be uh, a major point of discussion this year. We have a German government uh, that has uh, laid down uh, in, a, in the coalition agreement uh, the plans for migration. I don't see big changes compared to the previous government, but a more pronounced uh, yeah, commitment to Germany being a country of immigration, commitment to drive the European agenda further. Also Germany is interested in secondary movements and, uh, and how to mm-hmm. uh, yeah, address the issue of, of these movements within, uh, within the EU. At the same time, Germany commits to lead a coalition of countries that are more favorable of uh, admission, means relocation of asylum seekers in the EU, but also no uh, call for a mandatory quota, no call for others to automatically join that. Other constellations that have blocked this development in, in recent years have weakened. The MET5, the so-called, do not exist anymore because Greece has uh, taken a different direction uh, in migration policy than the other Mediterranean or southern countries, Visegrad 4. Also, we had changes in government. So there is movement and there's chance for progress, but this progress will rather be evolutionary than revolutionary. The third main point that I would single out is labor migration uh, and uh, demographic change in Europe, the effects of demographic aging show in labor shortages. And most importantly, here we have a very powerful actor, and this is the economic sector, that more and more will call for increased levels of immigration and is in a position to put pressure on the political system. So those would be the three that I would single out. Excellent. I think this gives us a quite a good foundation for, for the discussion. Uh, Martina, do you happen to have uh, some follow-up questions, maybe something you would like to um, hear more about? I do, I do. Um, the first question would be more of a clarification question to the first point that you made. Did I understand it correctly that you assume that migration will increase again also this year? At least there's no reason to um, expect that it decreases. So it was clearly above pre-pandemic levels last year. And when we look at the monthly figures, they also confirm rather an uptick in trend in the second half of last year. And we simply know that, yes, a situation can change pretty quickly, but not within two or three months. So simply following the trend and also taking it into account the situation in most uh, countries and regions of origin of, of irregular migrants and asylum seekers, there's no reason to expect that the figures will go down. We also do not really expect a wave that has, there's a number of reasons for that, but an increase or at least the levels of last year are the most likely development. Okay, and I think we'll, we will come back to the point that you just made, how quickly things can change um, in this conversation. The second question I would have um, is regarding France and Germany and so on the European Union level, what's happening there when we talk about how to regulate migration. You mentioned that there are many signs that there will be progress. 
How would you define progress? Well, progress is uh, also measured against what happened uh, the last couple of years. And that was a phase that was characterized rather as a, as a deadlock or a gridlock period. Uh, everybody was in their trenches and was not ready to get out of those trenches. And there were the three fractions, you can say, the Mediterranean countries expecting um, relief with regard to their difficult uh, situation as the first countries of arrivals in the EU, insisting on more or less a mandatory quota distribution of asylum seekers in the EU and blocking all other policy developments unless uh, there would be progress on that. Then there was the Visegrad 4 who very clearly said, well, we don't want to ex accept migration that is steered not by us in a sovereign way. And then you had the countries of destination, I can say as a third group, uh, more or less were caught in between those two uh, positions, but also didn't manage to, to get um, anything moving. So now the constellation has changed. Uh, this Mediterranean group does not exist anymore and to the same extent. Greece has imposed very restrictive policies that have led to changes in the direction of flows and has left, in a way, this group of, of the MET5. We have the same Visegrad. We have maybe also more realistic um, stance in the, in the French presidency program and in the German program. So as I've said, not to expect too much. So the policy space might have broadened to make progress but it's definitely not that much broader when we talk about very big solutions or very big steps. Okay, and following up on that, relating to the third point that you, you made, um, it is especially the, the Visegrad countries that are suffering from labor shortages at the, at the moment, not only obviously, but also them. Um, and you mentioned there could be some sort of pressure coming from the business community for more legal migration. Did I interpret this rightly? Yes, the pressure is already there. Uh -huh. And um, I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding when it comes to the position of the Visegrad. They do not say we are against migration per se. They simply say we want to be more or less fully sovereign to decide who comes and who does not. Um, and all European Union member states at the moment think of how to better manage Uh, labor migration and also how to get those labor migrants they need for uh, their economies. It's safe to say that they try to avoid too much of a public discussion on that. But in the background, this is happening. So I don't see, uh, in this case, a big difference. Uh, and all ideological or all political or all uh, campaign-related public statements uh, do not hold too much water when it then comes about the real policies. So nobody is really advanced. Nobody uh, is really uh, completely reluctant. But what I think it will enter, the issue will enter more the public debate. And I'm, I think we are safe to say that because it has entered the Already. public debate. Mm -hmm. And when you see empty shelves and when it is clear that uh, health services might not be provided simply because the people are not there, And when you see that uh, goods cannot be delivered, 
then also the public realizes, well, there might be something to it, to this discussion. Well, thanks for your questions um, and for clarifying. And I think we're already in the middle of the entire discussion, really. Martin, the Belarus issue has uh, dominated uh, 2021 vastly. How about this year? Is this still something that the EU should be concerned about? Definitely, yes. First of all, uh, the Belarus issue touches a sore point for every forecaster because it is a classical unexpected event. Uh, so when we did the same exercise last year, we did definitely not expect this to happen. So it's an outlier also in uh, the sense of looking at migration, something which in this form has not happened before and uh, was not expected. Why was it so special or different? Instrumentalization of migration has happened before, so that states try to use uh, migration to put pressure on other states. Examples are many. Libya, maybe the most prominent example, where then the leader, Muammar Gaddafi, threatened the EU to open the gates and flood uh, the EU with migrants. We have sit had situations like that with Morocco, also with Turkey to a certain extent. But there was a big difference that in all those cases, those countries were already hosting large numbers of migrants, refugees on their territory. There was a lot of pressure on those governments by their own public to provide relief or at least to show to the Europeans uh, uh, that they uh, are able to act to receive um, additional funds for that. But they always kept open the channels for diplomacy and common solutions. Now with Belarus it was different. There was no migrant community on the territory of Belarus before the spring of this year. There was nobody traveling along those routes before uh, mm -hmm. the spring of uh, this year. And it's very clear that uh, as soon as the EU started to impose stronger sanctions on Belarus, uh, these flows started to evolve. And we know now that they were obviously instigated by state authorities. There was a planned and deliberate scheme to retaliate, uh, to destabilize, or maybe also to get to the point where the EU says, well, we lift these uh, sanctions again. And that's really a novelty. So this was not so much a migration uh, issue, I would say. It was a geopolitical issue and a question of We did the use of uh, migration as a means of hybrid aggression. So this is maybe why nobody <laughs> expected it. And this is also why it somehow does not fall under the regular analysis of what's going on in migration. So what happened on side of the EU was a very swift, unified and robust response that also involved uh, partner countries outside of the EU that involved non-state actors, airlines, uh, sanctions, visa regulations, uh, mm -hmm. also right. talks about additional help, so a full package and face-to-face uh, -face diplomacy at the highest level. But also it involved the prevention of people entering the EU that uh, claim to be in need of protection. And this also happened. Uh, pretty quickly 
it became obviously obvious also to Belarus that this scheme does not work out. So it stopped. People have left Belarus again, but many are still stuck there. Many were stuck for weeks and months in no man's land under horrible conditions. So uh, the final word is not out. So far, you can see a big political success for the EU. This attack has been stopped. It is clear what is in the toolbox and how strong the EU is when the EU acts in a unified and, and a quick way. But also this dilemma is unresolved. The need to protect um, the EU's external borders and the legal and moral obligation to provide protection to those who need it. Uh, this dilemma we have not solved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I understand that. And maybe this is also uh, already a good bridge uh, to come to our next topic. And it's something that you have also outlined in the uh, ICMPD Migration Outlook. ICMPD Migration Outlook 2022 Focus Regions. Can you tell us um, to the listeners what are the focus regions um, this year? And uh, yeah, tell a little bit about all of those regions and why they, they matter. Yeah, principally, those focus region, regions or countries matter because the majority of asylum seekers in the EU or irregular migrants arriving at the borders of the EU come from those countries. Uh, we have it, or at least had it a lot in the public debate, the question, are those people genuine refugees or are they mainly uh, economically motivated? And from all the figures consistently over years, it is clear that asylum migration, irregular migration to the EU is mainly conflict-induced. Mm -hmm. So conflicts are more complex than just uh, violence or state persecution. But the asylum seekers in the EU overwhelmingly come from the conflict uh, zones of this world. And most of them are very close to the EU. Right. That is something which is very different in comparison to, let's say, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, and those are our focus regions. So, of course, Afghanistan received a lot of attention this mm -hmm. year. Taliban takeover is still the big unknown, how that will translate into migration flows. We can definitely expect an increase in uh, Afghan asylum seekers. We already have it. How big it will be will depend a lot on how the neighboring countries of Afghanistan act. They try to be very restrictive at the moment. They host already huge uh, populations of Afghans in their countries. But I would assume that we will see an increase. How mm -hmm. big it will be, nobody can tell. But there's another main uh, country of origin of asylum seekers in the EU, and that is Syria. And that has somehow slipped from the mm -hmm. uh, public debate. The situation in Syria has worsened, you can say, significantly, uh, which is remarkable in itself that such a horrible situation can still worsen, right. but it has. Mm. Uh, so uh, violence has flared up again. Uh, the economic uh, situation is dramatic, clearly also worsened by COVID and the effects of COVID. Uh, Turkey, the main host of Syrian refugees, more than 3 million, is in a difficult economic uh, situation. So many 
Syrians felt compelled, also pressured to return to Syria, then violence flared up again. So a lot of secondary movements, primary movements from Syria. And we see that the, the number of asylum seekers from Syria has increased significantly in the EU already last year, and this will most probably continue. We have Lebanon hosting almost a million refugees. Uh, mm -hmm. Very difficult uh, situation. Uh, economically, we have Libya as a main transit country and entry point to the EU. Growing instability, conflict, uh, dispute over the elections, uh, also flare-up of violence. Uh, we have North African countries, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Uh, all of them feel the impact of COVID, the economic impact of COVID, much harder than Europe does. Mm -hmm. After years of no real progress when it comes to social change, economic change perspectives, the young ones increasingly say, well, this does not move in the right direction or it does not move at all. So we have increasing numbers of uh, irregular migrants and asylum seekers from those countries, Southern Africa, Sahel, Great Lakes, everywhere the situation worsened. So that is when we want to take a sober look at the next migration year, we see that in all, almost all uh, regions of origin, we have a worsening situation. And this will most likely increase the wish from these regions to find a safe harbor in the European Union. One exception we have, this is Latin American countries uh, that Over the last year, where important share of asylum seekers in, in Europe, the situation has also worsened there, but the direction of movements has changed, again, away from Europe to the USA, mm -hmm. mainly. And this is a classical situation that can change within a couple of weeks. People have flown in in the past. They do not require a visa to fly uh, to Spain and can then apply for asylum afterwards. So... Uh, That is a situation that can really change within weeks. Also, the new Biden administration is not in a position to really soften migration policy. So we might see a change there pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, there is one region, I think, uh, or maybe a country rather, that has made headlines recently and that's uh, very high on the political agenda at the moment. And uh, I think you know which country I refer to. It's Ukraine. Uh, you have not uh, included Ukraine in the focus regions in the migration outlook for 2022. Why is that? So is it not a relevant country uh, for uh, in terms of migration this year or... Are there some other reasons? It is a very relevant country in terms of migration, but rather in terms of legal migration and of seasonal migration. So uh, Ukraine is uh, very well embedded, you can say, in the Eastern Central European uh, labor migration flows and seasonal flows. Um, and everything will depend on whether there is, uh, yeah, there are armed hostilities or not. If not, nothing will happen. If yes, we have a point of reference, and that is the Ukraine uh, crisis from 2015 that resulted in 2 million displaced and uh, roughly 100,000 asylum seekers. But then most of them went to Russia of the displaced and not to the mm -hmm. West. Also because the theater was the east uh, of, the, of the country and also Russia uh, 
is very welcoming when it comes to uh, Ukrainian uh, migrants and of course culturally, linguistically there is no uh, difference which makes maybe the conflict even more absurd but that is how it is and also like the EU countries would not mind receiving additional Ukrainians this refers again to, to the labor migration issue and the scarcity of labor force that we increasingly have um, so this is why I think it's not regarded migration wise as such a big problem it's mm -hmm. of course uh, when it comes to geopolitics or the security situation in Europe uh, uh, the most worrying development that we have but migration wise I think it's not so high on the agenda without armed conflict nothing will happen I assume if there's armed conflict we have uh, other things to be concerned about mm -hmm. definitely and uh, most European countries in the east or in the west will be glad to accept Ukrainian migrants interesting Martina do you have anything to add And not to add, but, but to ask, um, definitely. Talking about the focus regions, you mentioned two major reasons that people migrate. One is um, conflict, war, um, and the second one is an, um, the economic situation that's worsening in, in many areas um, at the moment. And you also already mentioned Turkey um, as one of the areas where actually the economy is really going down and um, We've seen no sign that so far the government actually aims to change the situation, at least at this point of time. With Turkey being such an important country for the European Union when it comes to migration structure, migration management, um, how much in focus will it be this year? It will be very much in focus. It always is in focus. And it is, ironically, probably the non-EU country where the cooperation is the closest and the most developed and that is why I also have said and insist that the Turkey case is very different from the Belarus case so there is the so-called EU-Turkey statement that is constantly politically challenged from all sides but that is in place since 2016 and was then the main building block to solve for better or worse but to solve the so-called refugee crisis that is still in place there's a lot of support from the eu financially structurally for turkey turkey does the utmost and has spent enormous amounts on the on the integration of, of syrians so i'm hopeful uh, the economic situation in, in in turkey is very difficult but still the country is a is a major Uh, almost yeah, dream destination for everybody else in the region because it's so much better off and uh, the living conditions are so much better and it's safe for the majority of people. Um, I hope honestly and it's in our interest in Europe that this um, the inflation situation and the economic situation that this is brought under control. It would be very bad not just for turkey but also for the for the eu if this economic situation worsens even further it would inevitably lead to secondary movements from turkey to the eu but also to flows from turks uh, to the yeah. eu uh, and uh, europe has a vast interest in, in in supporting turkey also economically okay would you consider the EU-Turkey deal when it comes to migration at risk at this it, 
it is always at risk and this is why i think it's not that much at risk because obviously <laughs> obviously the interests that that bind the two sides they've been under stress now for for five six years under immense stress and it did not collapse and i think i'm hopeful and i'm normally rather pessimistic in the field of migration policy but here i'm i'm hopeful that it will survive also this year okay and then i have another question on belarus that we talked about a couple of minutes ago um is there in i don't know migration theory if there exists something like that is there uh, like a blueprint how to deal with the political use of migration like we have seen uh, belarus belarus doing um at the border to poland That's an excellent question, a very interesting question. I think there was none until now. And I think if the EU is wise and analyzes thoroughly what they did on an ad hoc and improvised basis and see, well, we succeeded with this uh, goal, then there would be a new approach and a new toolbox. Those are the things that you have to do. One thing is, is, is very clear, and I think that is something the whole EU migration policy discussion confirms every year again. Migration policy cannot be a technocratic exercise where I just lay down the rules and then expect the rest of the world to, to follow. follow. <laughs> It was the question of Vice President Skinas traveling immediately to transit countries and countries of origin and talk directly to high-level counterparts who shared the interest also that this flow does not grow. That's an advantage we have, meanwhile, that most of our neighboring countries, although there might be also countries of origin and transit, also have an interest to keep irregular migration under control because they are also countries of destination and they know that their own public also is skeptical about uh, this, kind of, uh, this kind of migration. And... That was an, a major part of the toolbox. Act fast and act high level. I hope the EU has learned that. But coming back to your question, there was nothing in the books before. Now there is something. Another question is, will the lesson be learned and kept? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for this excellent question. I, I, I also think that's um, a little bit scary that there is something in the book now. But, um, well... Let's see how this um, will turn out in the future. Sorry to interrupt you, Elizabeth. There's definitely the weapon in the book now. Exactly. But that is always the case. So what Belarus did, everybody will, will know, okay, this you can do in order to put a lot of pressure on, on the EU. And this is why I think it was so important to show immediately that there's also a response to that. So both... <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Definitely. The weapon, if we, if you will, and the, and the countermeasure are in the books now. All sides will and should learn their lessons. Well, we, we can just uh, we can keep our fingers crossed for the future that this will not be an example that uh, is widely repeated um, because it's not sure how the responses can turn out uh, every other time, right? Um We have now already have touched upon so many different regions, uh, trends, not so much about um, on events, 
However, um, in the ICMP Migration Outlook 2022, there is also a section specifically dealing with um, EU trends on migration. ICMPD Migration Outlook 2022 Migration Trends in the European Union Can you also give us an overview here and um, kind of point out and summarize your sort of main predictions? In this regard, I think the, the most important trend that we saw last year, which links very much also to the, to the political question of, of what the EU should do and how the EU should act and cooperate, Is, is the shift in routes. So the routes that we observe are more or less constructions out of the registered arrivals and they are then translated into routes again. So uh, it's rather an, an analytical category than a geographic one, uh, mm -hmm. if you want to be precise. But the shift tells us that people do not move along the so-called Eastern Mediterranean route to the same extent as in previous years. But these uh, movements have shifted to the Western Balkan routes on the one side and to the Central Mediterranean route on the other. So why is this important? I've touched upon it before. Libya, a difficult, very difficult, but important partner for the EU for the control of irregular migration, is in a state of growing instability. So this means it makes it less likely that uh, Libya will control departures from their territory to the same extent as before. And we have seen a growth already in this route. So uh, we can expect uh, a similar development next year. Western Balkan route is politically extremely uh, important and challenging because the Western Balkan countries are sandwiched between EU member states. So people moving along this route want to go from one EU member state, Greece, basically to uh, mainland uh, EU. If you will, we have the smallest countries with the weakest economies, with completely overburdened capacities. We do this exercise not just for a general outlook, but also for the regions that we work in. And our colleagues from the Western Balkans and Turkey say very clearly uh, their counterparts in the Western Balkan countries expect a big increase in spring when the weather gets better of Afghans, secondary movements through the Balkans. They say they would like to prepare themselves, but they hardly have the means to do so. So here the question is how to better integrate the Western Balkan countries in the regional migration management system was always important, it's even more important next year because of this shift in routes. Right. Uh, Martina, any ideas, questions? So I do have a question um, regarding the, the Western Balkans where I think there are two things that are interesting. One is um, the position that Greece has taken throughout the last years and months that's much more strong and strict than it has, has been before. And the second thing I just from top of my mind is that um, countries like Bosnia, Herzegovina also are struggling like within. So there are topics in the countries that they struggle within. Um, how does the whole area communicate? Is there is there communication going on between Greece and its neighboring countries? 
or is this stuck or is this laid out to the European Union? Who is moderating? Well, first of all, you can assume that the, the migration authorities principally cooperate very, very well. Of course, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are growing tensions also in the Western Balkans between states there. There's a, there's a history. But our experience always was that at, you can say, operational level or higher operational policy level, exchange cooperation is always excellent throughout the whole migration world. Big question is the, the, the high politics question there, I think, uh, that the EU has missed probably the opportunity to, yeah, I would say wisely uh, think ahead and say, well, if we, if we expect these countries to be part of the solution, then we have to help them more. It's never too late, but uh, um, it should definite, definitely take place. The main, uh, would say, game changer here was the change in the Greek uh, migration policy. Also, Greek was requested this heavily by all other EU member states that they should do something about uh, their, let's say, control policy. Uh, basically, took off with an event that was that is also quoted when it comes to the instrumentalization of migration. That was in the spring of 2020 that a large number of. Uh, Syrian refugees and Afghan refugees in Turkey moved again towards the EU border about the exact background, why this happened, nobody really knows. And then Greece said, no, this time we don't admit those people to our territory. We suspend admission, at least temporarily. And then in the aftermath introduced uh, strict and stricter policies and also in last year uh, continued to um, impose rather strict policies. Uh, for instance, uh, admissions are processed only in specific centers, There's a widening of, uh, you can say, keeping people in confined uh, uh, shelters, basically where they cannot move. And this basically led to a shift in flows. So migrants would not apply for asylum in Greece anymore, but would do this more downstream. Uh, so. The Greek policy, and this will continue also, also next year, has, has changed the environment here a lot. So I think, yes, coming back to your question, it's not that there is no cooperation. There is, but I think it's not deep enough. There are attempts. Also, Austria is uh, traditionally uh, very active in this regard, also to uh, drive the dialogue at the high political level, which is important. Without agreement at this level, you don't achieve too much at the operational level and vice versa. So, yes, again, I think there is uh, cooperation and dialogue, but I don't think it's enough. Uh, I have a more general question, Martin. So you have already uh, worked uh, on the migration outlook for four years now. If you're looking at the overall results of uh, your migration outlooks, would you say that this year the migration outlook is rather moving towards a direction that is more 
alarmistic or that it's uh, a development that's going in a rather positive direction, given that this year you have identified 12 issues compared to previously just uh, seven issues or 10 issues? I would definitely not see the situation as dramatically worse than in previous years. All the things that we have talked about are annual or punctual events embedded in long-term drivers of uh, international migration in all its forms that we know. That's conflict, that's demographic change, that's uneven uh, socio-demographic development. That's urbanization, that's population growth, that is uh, approximation in shared values and expectations of life. So we see that's climate change definitely in future. So all those mega drivers are there and increase in significance every year. And what happens then in a concrete year is a combination of manifestations of those uh, mega trends. So maybe here I'm the wrong person to ask because nothing would surprise me <laughs> there are things there's still things that are unexpected like belarus that is something mm. which is new but that's not a migration topic in the in the narrow sense mm -hmm. as i've said that's a question of geopolitics that's a question of conflict uh, but what i always expect is that the situation worsens dramatically in some of the regions that we have talked about and this will inevitably lead to an increase of uh, migration to the EU. And it's the question, how do EU member states, their partners, how do they intervene? And then will be either a lot more or just a little more and most likely not less. So no, I don't think uh, there's any reason for an alarmist assessment of next year. But there's also no reason to believe that it will be an easy migration year. We won't see any easy migration years in many years to come. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thanks uh, for your assessment. And would you like to um, add another question, Martina? Yes, it's a super boring one. I mean, you say you're, you're seeing all those mega trends influencing migration that have been influencing migration the last few years. Um, there's one mega trend that we all don't want to see anymore, which is um, the pandemic. Um, how much influence on migration issues does it still have in 2021? More than expected uh, and more than I think we all would hope for, because it basically expresses just the, the hope that we have also voiced last year, that the pandemic um, in its serious manifestations would come to an end in 2021. This did not materialize, so we can you know, spread our hopes now, uh, next year. Uh, what we have expected, and this also became a reality, is that the uh, economic fallout of, uh, of COVID will hit the low-income countries, developing economies, even harder than the most developed ones. And this actually happened and uh, increases definitely migration pressures. So all savings that were there have been exhausted by now. And we see the very concrete examples of Tunisia, where it's the young, well-educated that also did not have jobs before they would aspire for, but at least they could work in tourism and make some, but now there is no tourism. 
So yes, COVID had its impact. And we also saw that as soon as mobility restrictions were lifted, uh, all That's a bounce back. all mm-hmm. uh, migration trends bounced back to, 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 to previous situation or even exceeded that. And this will be still with us this year, definitely, because even if we get COVID under control, we will not get the economic fallout under control. So most probably, even when the pandemic is over, I'm still hopeful that this will happen. Uh, The economic consequences will be with us and will be again further aggravating uh, the, the mega trend of economic imbalances, wage differentials driving migration. You already mentioned it in, in the list of megatrends, which is um, uh, climate change. It's not in, in the migration outlook so far, but you said in the future it will be. Um, when will this future arrive? It has arrived. <laughs> uh, here I have to uh, explain maybe a little bit that climate change as a driver for migration is as old as, as, as mankind. And it became a topic of the debate a few years ago or 10 years ago. And then the migration researchers did what they always do. They looked at actual events, statistics, and this and that. And said, yes, unfortunately, the arguments are very convincing that climate change will result in migration. But currently we see exactly the opposite, that people move in in, in those areas where that will be most affected. So we we just don't have empirical evidence that it's happening already. And that has changed. Areas at the coasts or... or Exactly. So everybody subscribed to the arguments, but as researchers, we said, well, we don't see it happening, so it's not happening yet. But now it's happening. Mm -hmm. And nobody questions it anymore. So we see in Latin Central America, uh, the cases... We see them in Asia, we see them in Africa, and we see them in Europe, Southern Europe, where people start to say, well, I don't have to leave now, but in 10 years, or my children will not be able to live in certain areas in Spain, certain areas in Italy. So it is a reality by now. It's still difficult to express that in figures, because most of these movements take place within a country. So the so-called internally displaced, that then might translate into cross-border displacement refugees at the later stage. But it's here and it will be huge. It will be probably the hugest or the most important factor because it simply forces large, large, large groups of people to move. And <clears throat> the estimates or the figures we have right now, <clears throat> globally de- displaced 80 million, also internally displaced and refugees, 20, 25 million across borders. This will be nothing in comparison to uh, the people that will have to move because of, of climate-induced factors. But climate change is not good news for in, in, any, in any area and also not the migration. But coming back to your question, it is here now and it will be increasingly Uh, also find its expression in, in, in figures and trends that we can discuss in a talk like, like today. Wow, so this was um, quite uh, an unexpected uh, sort of thematic turn. So in the end um, of this talk, um, we can still say that there is um, 
not just room for improvement, but there are also things that the EU has already achieved. Um, I think especially with the Belarus topic that you have mentioned, um, we have seen what cooperation really can do for the uh, EU. Um, and let's hope that other topics can be resolved with the same dynamic, maybe. Um, in any case, thanks to both of you for this interesting conversation and for joining me today. I think our listeners have really gained a very good insight into how multifaceted this migration topic is overall and also have gained really good insight into uh, what to look out for in 2022. As for us, we will be back with a new episode of the Migration Outlook discussing our regional migration outlooks in the coming weeks. So please subscribe to our various social media channels, our newsletter and to this podcast, of course, uh, to get the latest news from ICMPD. We promise we will not overshare and we will always be relevant uh, for you. And once more, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. For more information, please visit icmpd.org and download our ICMPD Migration Outlook 2022.